Well, are you ready to pick up where we left off last week in John chapter 5? I've been enjoying uh, just going through and studying uh, the, the different portions of the chapters. And uh, sometimes we try and take too big a bite. And so this is, this is our third week in John chapter 5. We, and I, you know what? I don't mind it. I, I really don't. Uh, because I, I'm basically a one-point preacher. And so we can go through the entire Bible one point at a time. And we can be here until Jesus comes back. And I'll be happy. Because uh, as long as we're studying the Word of God, amen? Well, how many of you uh, are old enough to remember uh, what they did in 1985? You might remember this. You might not. I do. I was nine in 1985. Uh, And so um, 1985, there was a movie that came out. And it was based off a very popular board game, Clue. Clue. Now, you might not remember what they did with the Clue movie uh, because it was so long ago. I mean, it's, it's been forever. It's what, 32 years ago, right? 32 years ago. But what they did, uh, they produced a movie with three different endings. It had three different endings. And based upon, uh, you, you watch the movie, you would, yeah, how, you, how many of you have played the board game Clue? You play, yeah, yeah, you play the board game. I'm not much of a board game person, although I have played Candyland as of uh, the last recent time because Heather loves board games. It's not me and her. We're playing with Bennett. Um, but I'm not much of a board game guy, but Clue, you get together little pieces, you try and guess what's going on happen, and everyone can see the same clues, and all of a sudden, you end up with three or four different opinions of what happened. Well, in this, when they released this movie in 1985, they released it with three different endings. And so in order to see each ending, you had to go see it three different times in different theaters. Yeah, that's crazy. Can you imagine if they did that today? People would revolt. Actually, they'd just leak the endings onto YouTube and it'd be done. But so they did that in 1980. So you'd have to go to three different theaters. Now, after it had been out for a little bit of time, all the theaters started showing all three endings together. But here was such a fascinating thing is that you would watch what happened and they would say, well, this is what we think happened. And then, the, the, so, and they, you, it's just, it was so interesting that they tried to do that. And I, it's been 32 years, but it was, they, they, you would, everyone would watch the same events and they would come up with different endings that they thought were plausible. They would watch it and come up with different, I, you know, it's honestly, and any one of the three sounded reasonable, sounded, and it wasn't until they said, but this is what really happened that you knew, okay, this is really what happened. That's why they, they, they preface it that way. Uh, so it's hard, though. It's hard because sometimes we get little clues, we get little bits of information, and we think we know what happened. That's actually why those in law enforcement will tell you that eyewitness testimony is unreliable. Because you can have five people watch the exact same event and tell you five different versions. And depending on the person, you might get three different versions from the same person. It, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 no, I didn't do that. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. And then you start to wonder, were you guys at the same event? Did you all see the same thing? It, an eyewitness testimony is incredibly unreliable. Well, in John chapter 5, starting where we are today in verse uh, 31, we come across where Jesus starts talking about testimonies. Starts talking about testimonies. You know, it's really interesting uh, where, what Jesus is talking about uh, here, talking about what we accept as good testimony or what we accept as 
uh, invalid testimony. So I want to read this portion to you in John chapter 5, verse 31, going on to verse 47. uh, And then we'll come back and we'll talk about it a little bit. It says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. We can't always believe what people say about themselves, can we? That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, if all I do is talk about how good I am, um, then you might not believe me. If somebody is always telling you how good they are, but they got nothing to back it up, you probably want to take that with a grain of salt. But then Jesus said, there's another that testified me. You have sent, you have sent to John, and he testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you might be saved. Jesus was a lamp that burned, or John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scripture diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote... How are you going to believe what I say? So Jesus is standing before the Pharisees. This is, again, continuing after he healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. And he, he talks to the, the Pharisees. We talked about last week. He, he calls them on the carpet about where they're at, what they believe, and the folks. And here's what he says. He goes, I'm not telling you how good I am. I'm not testifying about myself. John has testified about me. But you don't believe me. The Bible testified, well, at the time he didn't say the Bible. He talked about the Holy Scriptures. It testifies about me, but you don't believe them. You've seen the miracles and the the acts that I've done, and you still don't believe in me. And so Jesus had to give some clarity as to whose testimony he's to believe, whose testimony we should believe. The first thing we want to remember is that Jesus did not accept glory from just words. He didn't accept glory from just words. He says, it's not that I accept human testimony. He says in in verse 41, I do not accept glory from human beings. You know, there are people in life that are going to tell you beautiful things. They're going to tell you wonderful things about yourself. Some of them, those that know you and love you and have a relationship with you, you should give them a lot of weight and credence. But the person trying to sell you a car, you should not give a whole lot of weight and credence into the false platitudes. But a lot of times, we live our life as if words are the only things that matter. We live our life as if the words are what is going to sustain us in our day-to-day life. Jesus did not just accept glory from the words of people. How many of you have heard the phrase, talk is cheap? 
It really is. It really is. You hear people say just the most beautiful things about you to your face. And then you come and find out a week later that they're also the ones that are bad-mouthing behind your back. Jesus looked at the words that were coming from people and said, the testimony is not what I identify with. How many of you remember the, uh, the old phrase, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me? You know, words can be hurtful if we give them weight. Sticks and stones will always hurt when somebody throws them at you. But sometimes we give too much credence to people's words. Now, this doesn't give us just license to say whatever we want to whoever we want and talk however we want. But sometimes we give other people's weight or to other people's words too much weight in our own lives because we want to be approved of. We want to hear nice things about ourselves, don't we? No one, no one likes to be told, you know, that wasn't the best I've ever seen. That wasn't really that good. Did you want, what, what, everyone wants to hear the same thing. Man, you are as good as you think you are and better looking. We start to desire to hear the words that make us feel good. What did Jesus say? I don't accept the glory of humans. I don't accept just words. Too often we are willing to take somebody just at the word of what they say. And I think when we live our life like that, it gets us off track. Because if you look at the example of the Pharisees, the Pharisees had all of the right words. They had all the right words. They knew the scriptures front and back. They knew the scriptures frontwards and backwards. They studied them day and night. They taught people about what the scriptures said. They had plenty of words. And when we start identifying with just words we can start to find our value and our worth in what other people say about us. And the hard thing about that is it causes us to live a life that is trying to please others and not God. The Pharisees were very much an example of people having a form of righteousness. They looked on the outward side like they were fulfilling what God had called them to do. But who did Jesus have the most conflict with? The Pharisees. The ones that should have been ready to receive him, ready to get him in their life and accept him as Savior. Jesus saw them and knew that their words were empty. And when we start living our life in a manner that is trying to get words of affirmation and approval from other people, we find our identity there. And we have to do what Jesus did. We have to find our identity in who Jesus says we are. You have to find your identity in who Jesus says you are. Jesus says you're my child. You're loved by me. You're important. You're valued. You're cared for. See, the words that are easy to believe are the negative ones, aren't they? You're not good enough. Somebody else is better than you. You don't measure up to your sister or your brother. We start hearing those words, and those are the identity we find. But Jesus has a very high opinion of you. God tells you, you're my child. 
you're important to God. We have to find our identity in who Jesus says we are. Otherwise, we will be someone that is always striving for the approval of man. It is hard to live a life that is called by God if we're continually trying to let let men shape who we are. See yourself as God sees you. You're a person of value. You're a person that's important. See, the the Pharisees, they had lots of words. They had lots of words. They knew the Scripture, but they didn't recognize Jesus. The Pharisees knew the Scripture, but they they could not recognize Jesus. They literally could not see the tree because of the forest. See, that's a little backwards, isn't it? We say that we can't see the forest because of the trees. But see, the individual tree of life, giver of life, Jesus Christ that was there, they couldn't reconcile in their mind who he was because of what they thought they knew. They couldn't see the tree because of the forest. They knew the Scriptures, but they didn't know Jesus. They saw the Scriptures but they didn't see Jesus. That's why Jesus wouldn't accept their testimony. That's why Jesus wouldn't just accept their words. You know, there's all sorts of people that uh, they know lots of verses. They know lots of the Bible. They know tons of the Bible. But they don't live a life that shows they know Jesus. There used to be a guy that traveled around uh, that he, uh, he knew the Bible so well, he had memorized it word for word. And all he would, and he would, he would, do, he would do a lot of Sunday night services, and he would say, you know, give me three words out of any verse in the Bible, and I will tell you what chapter and verse. And if, there, if it's in multiple places, I'll tell you any chapter and verse. Or you could tell him any chapter and verse that you would want to say, that you would want to, and he would quote it back to you without looking at the Bible. It was amazing. It was amazing. There are people that know the Bible forwards and backwards that do not know Jesus. We're told demons know the Word of God. It's more than just knowing words. It's more than just knowing chapters and verse. Should we study the Bible? Absolutely. How do you know the heart of God if you don't know the Word of the Father? But it's more than just words. It's how we live our life. It's how we live our life. Jesus knew the heart of the Pharisees. When you see that in, in uh, John 5, 42, he says, Jesus says, I do not accept glory from the human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your heart. I love what it says in the message. See, Jesus knew their heart. He knew their hearts because of their actions, because of how they lived their life. But here's how the message says it in John 5, 42. It says, and do you know why? Because I know you and your crowds. I know that love, especially God's love, is not on your working agenda. Listen, there are Christians, there are people that profess to be Christians. They don't have a care in the world about the needy and the poor. They don't give a second thought about those that are hurting. They're worried about themselves. 
words do not suffice. They knew, Jesus knew their hearts. Because of their words, people thought they were righteous. But because of their actions, Jesus knew what they really valued. See, Jesus knew their hearts based upon how they cared, how they loved. Knowing the Word of God is not enough. Knowing the Bible is not sufficient. What does it say in James 1.22? It says, be not just hearer of the Word, but doers also. You may have memorized the entire New Testament. But what's our theme for this year? 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Beginning of that chapter says, If I prophesy in the tongues of men and angels but have not love... If we don't have love in our life on how we interact with others and how we relate to others and how we minister and testify and share about God, if we don't have love in our life, then our actions will not demonstrate the love of Christ. What it will show, it will show an academic understanding. It will show an academic understanding of what Jesus says, but not necessarily an experiential element of what Jesus did. Listen, we can, we can understand all sorts of things. We can read about it. You can study it. You can know it. But until you actually do it, until you actually do it, it doesn't really make sense. I'll give you a good example of that. Um, there's a website that I, I, I get building plans off of periodically. It's called Anna White. Um, and she, the, the, the bed that we built for Bennett when we first came, uh, I downloaded those blueprints for free. Uh, and any one of us can go and download these blueprints on how to build this bed. Or I, I made a set of cabinets in our, in our kitchen for our trash cans because when Bennett was a baby, he loved to play with trash cans. I do not know why, but we had to hide them. I downloaded the plans I have the tools, I have the equipment, I have the experience. They made sense to me. If you've never done any woodworking, you can learn how to do it. But if you've never done any woodworking, if somebody gives you a set of blueprints for building a set of cabinets, you might understand backwards and forwards how long the wood has to be, what kind of nails you have to do, what kind of... But if you don't have the tools, the experience, you're not going to be able to do it. It's the same thing in our relationship with Jesus. If all you know is what the Word of God says, but you've never experienced in your life, if you've never lived out, if you have never been a doer of the Word, you don't have the experience to really understand what it means to love others. That's what it means when it says be doers. There's all sorts of things that Jesus shows us in here. There's all sorts of things that the writers of the Bible instruct us to do, how to care for one another, how to live, how to take care of the needy, the poor, the the orphans, the widows. How do you do it? And if we have never done it, we can talk about how we should do it, but if you've never experienced it, we run the very real danger of Jesus saying, I know your heart. Because your words and actions do not match each other. We can talk and talk and talk 
all day long. But what did we say earlier? Talk is cheap. I know a lot of Christians that uh, they love God based upon what they say. They don't live generous lives. They don't live loving lives. If you ran into them outside of church, you would not tell a difference between them and somebody that doesn't claim to know Jesus. Knowing the word of God is not enough. Matthew chapter 25 has a great has a great section of scripture for us to remember in reference to this. Matthew 25 verse 31 if you want to turn there, 25 verse 31. It says when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as, shep- as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the Father will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal life, fired, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick and are in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Both sets, the sheep and the goats, believe the same thing. The difference was the sheep acted on their belief. The goats did not. The difference between the sheep and the goats is what they did and didn't do. We're not saved by work. We are saved by faith and Jesus Christ. But our faith in Jesus should produce works. Our lives should be different. Our actions should be different. As I was saying during the offering talk, because we are Christians, our relationship to material possessions changes because we are not here for ourselves once we are in the family of God. We are no longer concerned about our own welfare and well-being. Who's going to take care of me? The shepherd will take care of me. I am called to help get more people in to the family of God. I am called to help to seek and save the lost. That's what the actions that Jesus has called us to do should produce life in others. That's what the Pharisees didn't do. They knew the word of God, but they didn't act on it. 
There are all sorts of Christians that are filled with the Word of God. They can quote it to you backwards and forward, but they don't live it. They don't live it. We, we don't honor God with words. It's with our actions. We don't honor God with words. It's with our actions. Now, am I saying that everyone in here should go start their own ministry and become their own nonprofit and big grand and strive to be this mega church? No. Jesus didn't say what you did to the multitude. He said what you did to the least of these. Do you care enough to love one person today? in the way that Jesus loves them. Mother Teresa said, if you, you know, do for the one what you would love to do for the many. You can't give everything to everyone. But you can help someone today. You can love someone today. You can meet a need tomorrow. Living the example of Christ requires us to reevaluate what matters the most to us. We must be intentional in serving the needs of others. That's what Jesus tells us, calls us to it. When he confronts the Pharisees, he says, your words are empty. They don't mean anything because I know your hearts because love is not inside of you and neither is the love of God. The love of God produces action in our life. He's called us to share his gospel. He's called us to share his love. He's called us to be infectious carriers of the glory and love of Jesus Christ. That's the call. That's the call. It's not about how much I know about Jesus. It's about how much I live like Jesus. None of us are called to perfection because we can't get there. It's like I was saying during communion. You can't save yourself. It doesn't matter how hard you work, you're never going to be righteous enough on your own. The only way we are saved is through Jesus Christ and the grace that he offers to us. The sacrifice that he made on that cross. But he didn't save us with that sacrifice so that we could accept him as our savior and not be changed. Jesus died on a cross for our sins, but he did it to produce change in our lives. Change in our lives is transformation that comes with our actions. If somebody were to hear you say, I'm a Christian, do your actions match your words? Words are not enough. Talk is cheap. Jesus didn't accept the glory of human testimony because words are not enough. That's my challenge to you this morning. Do your actions match the words? 
that you profess about Jesus. Yeah, I was thinking about this this week. I end a lot of sermons with asking questions. Because I really think that's how you grow. That's how we change. I don't judge anybody in this room because it's not my place. I ask questions because those are questions I ask myself. Do my life does my life reflect the words that I share? Do my actions match it? It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's the Holy Spirit's job to draw you in close. And so this morning, that's why I ask a lot of questions, because I don't know you. My job is not to judge what you do and don't do. My job is to challenge you, to listen to the Holy Spirit. Let him speak to your heart. Let him speak to your mind. Let him draw you closer to Jesus. I want my words and actions to match. I want my actions to honor God. I want everything I do to bring glory to Jesus. I know I'm not there. It's going to be a lifelong endeavor. But my challenge to you this morning, how are you doing in allowing your actions and words to align with what Jesus has called us to do. Bow your heads with me in prayer.